we're going into a very interesting year. 2024, I think, is going to be filled with all sorts of uh, uncertainty. I'm not, I, I am conflicted because on the one hand, I feel like these people are on the run a little bit. It doesn't feel like their plans are going according to schedule. And I love that. But I also know that these people don't like to lose. And if you corner them, they are going to be very dangerous, even more dangerous than they are right now. So the house of cards with relation to uh, the banking industry seems like it's uh, coming unglued. And uh, that's going to spell disaster for a lot of these globalist people. And I wanted to do a show that kind of looks back into part of the problem. Part of the reason why these people are even in a position to control our lives in the first place. And I wanted to talk about this group that's known as the Eastern Establishment. It's, the, it's, it's an unofficial term, of course, but I think you kind of know uh, a little bit about who I'm talking about. It's the, you know, geographically, we're talking, we're not talking about the East, like the Southeast of the United States. We're talking about the Northeast. We're talking about that Pennsylvania. New York, Massachusetts, Washington, D.C. area around uh, the northeastern part of the United States, which was a, a, a hotbed for people, especially immigrants coming to the United States from Europe. It's obviously geographically the first place you would you would come into the states that way. So it was developed first. 13 colonies were there first. I'm not trying to turn this into a, some sort of weird history lesson on on that or anything, but but it, it makes sense that a lot of the power emanated from that region. And over the decades, over the centuries, really, it started to take on a little bit of a, um, well, there was a name for it, and it was the Eastern Establishment. And, and part of that group, part of that were sort of that unofficial group known as the Eastern Establishment were, were groups that you might have heard the names of, Skull and Bones, Bonesmen, things like that. But there's a group that you probably haven't heard too much about, and that's the Pilgrim Society. Now, I mean, you talk about rebranding. I mean, the idea of the like, Pilgrim Society being a dangerous group, you're like, oh, really? With their fancy brown hats and their Thanksgiving dinner and inviting the Indians over and all that stuff? Oh, these are the Pilgrims that I read about. No, 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 no. This is, it's, they need a rebranding if they want to scare your name. But if they want to stay under the radar, they could just keep themselves branded the way they are because nobody talks about the Pilgrim Society. And you should. And we're going to. And the reason why we're going to is because nobody does. And it's a group of people. Once we go through this whole thing, you're going to be like, how did I never hear about these people? That This sounds like, like I know all these groups. I know all these companies and institutions that are connected to it. How am I the last person to hear about the Pilgrim Society? Well, don't feel bad. You see, part of the reason why you don't hear about them is because they own the media. You know, there's the there's the whole concept of like, well, you know, the Jews run the media and everything's like, well, yes and no. This group owns the media. The Jews run the media, right? You know what I mean? So, I mean, I'm not saying anything that they don't say about themselves when there aren't any Jews around, right? They talk about this stuff openly. It's no secret. And it certainly isn't a put down if, to say that some group is in control of a segment of, of industry. It's very true. But when you dig into the a lot of the ownership, 
of the mainstream media, what you will find in actuality is that it's owned by the pilgrims. It's owned by people connected to the pilgrim society. So I want to get into this and, and, and sort of maybe start a little bit at the beginning. This group started in 1902. So we're not, I'm not going to go all the way back to the very, very beginning, but we're, we're talking about a century of being in control. It's collectively, they're known as the Anglo-American establishment. They also, you would, you would hear them called the WASP elite. That's a, another acronym. You know how I love acronyms, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. That, that was like, a, when you read like those truly tasteless joke books, volume one through, I don't know, 8,000, however many they've made, there's always like, there's a section on making fun of Mexicans and making fun of black people and making fun of Jewish people. And then there's a section making fun of wasps. And if you ever were like, what are wasps? White Anglo-Saxon products. It's honkies. Okay. White devils. That's what we're talking about here. And, um, and so in the U S this is mostly like East coast elite, New York city, DC, Ivy league schools, specifically Harvard, Yale and Princeton. Those are the, the big ones there. Um, but it's not limited to the United States. In, in fact, it, it's it's uh, it has a franchise, if you want to think of it like that, in the UK. And it was run by a guy named Lord Carrington, a former Secretary General of NATO. He ran the UK version of the Pilgrim Society from 1983 to 2002. So damn near two decades. And this is a guy who, if you're like, who's Lord Carrington? It sounds kind of familiar. Well, he he was the he was a chairman of Bilderberg and he was a 14 time participant in it. So he's a guy that knows his way around the world government scene. And he's, and of course he's Lord Carrington. So if you're Lord anything, you probably fuck kids. I mean, I don't know if you officially do, but you probably do. Let's just, I'm just going to say that until someone is proves me wrong. But in this UK franchise of the Pilgrims, you have 18 different Bank of England governors. So it's a very powerful group to come out of. Um, th- these are the, uh, the b- there's a huge banking component to the Pilgrim Society. It's not limited to that, of course, but it's just it's part of it. And um, and so when when you're talking about the UK version of it, you're starting to get into banks that have um, ties to or or members that have ties to Goldman Sachs and Lazard and the Rockefellers and the British Eugenics Society. So think of all that, oh, all the Cecil Rhodes stuff, you know, all the round table. And this is going on about that time, right? This is early 1900s. Round table was like late 1800s, early 1900s when it was really taking off British Eugenics Society, you know? So it's like, you could just picture all these all these uh, honkies sitting around a table deciding which brown people needed to leave the planet. You know, it's it's that sort of thing, and um, and so the UK version of it is is one part, and, but it in it in it's significant. It's it's worth mentioning for sure because you know especially because of uh, we see sort of the overlap between uh, CFR and and Chatham House and this sort of reciprocity between the UK and the United States when it comes to some of these semi-secret societies and uh, think tanks and NGOs. So, and Pilgrims is, is really no different from that. That there, you're still mo- It's still mostly America-centric, but not completely. The UK version does have some pretty influential people in it. 
but they get dwarfed when you hear about who is uh, in, involved in this group on the American side because it is, uh, boy, it's like a who's who of uh, of, of spooks and uh, internationalists, like David Rockefeller describes himself, and um, spies and all kinds of weirdos. So we'll get into this. Thanks for watching that clip. If you want to hear the entire episode in audio format, just go wherever podcasts are served, search for macroaggressions, subscribe to the show, and please rate it when you get a chance. Thanks, everybody.